Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. For the next three uh, Sundays, I want to teach a short series on uh, the Holy Spirit and the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And I want to begin that little short uh, three-week series by talking this morning about uh, three things related to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, three truths that have been important in my Christian life and have been important in my walk with the Lord. And truth number one is that the Holy Spirit is a person, and I want to talk about that and why that's important uh, to us, why that, knowing that is important. Number two, the Holy Spirit provides us with the how to live this Christian life. And number three, the work of the Holy Spirit in a Christian's life will always look like the Lord Jesus. The context of John chapter 14 is that uh, verses 15 through 18 is that Jesus is in an upper room in the city of Jerusalem on the night before his crucifixion. And the atmosphere in, in that upper room, the single great theme that is dominating the room, at least in the hearts and the minds of the disciples, is the word separation. Jesus has spoken to the disciples and told them that he's going to leave them, that he's going to go to heaven to prepare a place for them, and that one day he's going to return and uh, call them to himself and call them into the heaven that he has prepared for them. What this produced within them was uh, their hearts were troubled at the very notion that Jesus uh, would leave them. He's been everything to them for three and a half years. Put yourself in their place how dependent they've become upon him, and then now he speaks of leaving and returning uh, to, to heaven. And so they have to be wondering, what does this going away uh, mean? Does it mean that Jesus' work upon, uh, in, in the world is going to come to a screeching halt? Will uh, we be left, you know, as, as spiritual orphans and without any help, without any direction? They come to depend completely upon him at this point. And Jesus then explains to them that his work in this world would continue through them, but that now it would occur through the person of the Holy Spirit. And that brings us to point number one. The Holy Spirit is a person. And you notice in verses 16 and 17, notice in verse, the, verses 16 and 17, the names or the titles that Jesus ascribes to the Holy Spirit. He calls him helper as a title in verse 16. He calls him the spirit of truth in verse 17. But then notice in those two verses the repetition of personal pronouns that Jesus ascribes to the Holy Spirit. He refers to them as he, him, 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 he. And always in the Bible when the Holy Spirit is referred to, he is always referred to by title, by name, 
or by personal pronoun. The Holy Spirit is never referred to as an it. Sometimes people will, will uh, speak of the Holy Spirit as it. And when a person does that, it reveals that uh, they don't have a good understanding uh, of, of the Holy Spirit. So sometimes people will say concerning the Holy Spirit, it will come into your life. But the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is not some impersonal force out there, some aura, some you know, emanation out in the atmosphere. He is the third person of the Godhead. All the way through the Bible, we're told things about the Holy Spirit that can only be true of, of a person. Uh, the, God gives the Holy Spirit, speaks of him, and gives him uh, marks and characteristics of personality. Sometimes we think of a person being a person solely on the basis of some physical thing. Uh, they have eyes, they have ears, they have a nose, they have a mouth, they have arms and legs and hands and feet, thus they're a person. But those aren't the only marks of, of personality. There are other marks of personality uh, also that are not physical. And some of the marks of, of personality uh, for the Holy Spirit that are included in the Bible is that he has knowledge. A mere power, a mere force doesn't have knowledge. But the Holy Spirit has knowledge. And he not only has knowledge, he has the ability to impart knowledge to people, which reveals that the Holy Spirit has intelligence. A mere force does not have intelligence. The Holy Spirit has intelligence. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of God except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one, even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has a will, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing, speaking of spiritual gifts, to each one individually as he wills. The Holy Spirit is very powerful. He gives power. He's glad to give power. But he gives power in accordance with his will. The Bible declares that the Holy Spirit has a mind, there's a mind attributed to the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. And likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Holy Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Love is attributed to the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 15, verse 30. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. The Holy Spirit loves, and he loves us. Uh, impersonal forces uh, don't love. He searches and he reveals, the Bible declares. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. Once again, but God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. He prays, Romans chapter 8, verse 26. 
Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Holy Spirit communicates. Jesus spoke concerning the Spirit over and over again in the book of Revelation. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He teaches us. John chapter 14, verse 26, a little further in this chapter. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. He leads and he guides. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. The Holy Spirit can lie, be lied to. You can't lie to an impersonal force. He can be lied to because he's a person. Acts chapter 5, verse 3, Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? The Holy Spirit can be grieved. He can be hurt. Uh, an impersonal force can't be hurt or grieved. Uh, it is a mark of personality that a person can be grieved. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, And do not grieve the Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And all of these things are the marks of, of a person, not of impersonal force or power or some kind of uh, impersonal essence, you know, that fills all of, of creation. And I go through all of that, and a person might ask the question, uh, why in the world is that important? Why is the personality of the Holy Spirit important to me? Why would you spend the time on that? Why is the fact that he is a, a person important to me at all? And it's a good question, and here's why. Because if I view him merely as a force or a power, then I will be tempted to view him as the means that God has given for me to get my will done rather than as the one who has provided me with the power to do his will. And if I see him as just this impersonal force, the great tendency will be to just say, give me more of this force, God, in order that I can, you know, accomplish my purposes and my plans and, and uh, in, instead of coming to him and realizing that his power and all and wisdom, it comes it wrapped up in a, in a person who has a will for my life. And, and the focus then of my life becomes my will instead of his will. And here's what happens to my prayers. My prayers start to say, sound something like this. Lord, this is what I'm going to do. Now, today, give me your spirit to do that. Now, that's not foreign to us. We understand that. We come to God and say, all right, this is what I, everything I got planned now today, and now give me your power uh, to do all of this. Give me your spirit to do it. When I see the Holy Spirit as a person, then my desire becomes, what is his will? What is he doing today? I want to get in line with that, uh, Lord, and get into the flow of, of that and, and give me sensitivity to your Holy Spirit today to get in the flow of, of those things. If I view him only as an essence or a power or a force, then my focus will be, how much of the Holy Spirit do I have? If I understand him to be a person who has a will and a plan for my life, 
then my focus becomes not how much of him do I have, but how much of me does the Holy Spirit have? There's a big difference between those two. And those two things create two entirely different qualities of, of Christian life. When I realize that the Holy Spirit is a person, then I realize that to be Spirit-filled is to be Spirit-controlled. Talk a lot in the body of Christ about being Spirit-filled. Be a Spirit-filled, 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 Spirit-filled Christian. Are you a Spirit-filled Christian? And these kinds of things. It's a great term. I like the term. The problem is Half the time, I don't understand what in the world's being said by it. It's kind of an undefined term. And that's, that's why I like the word spirit-controlled or the term spirit-controlled over spirit-filled because spirit-controlled carries with it the stronger sense of the personality of the Holy Spirit. Is my life under the control of the person of the Holy Spirit? And, and so knowing that the Holy Spirit is a person rather than just a force, it causes my focus to move from one of trying to figure out a plan in this area or that area of my life, explaining that plan to God, asking him now to give me the power to do this thing. And, and, and instead, if I understand him to be a person, then the focus of my life becomes of one of surrender. Lord, what is your plan for today? And I surrender to the leading of your spirit today. I want to understand what his will is today. Give me a sensitivity to your Holy Spirit today. I surrender my eyes and my mind and my ears and my mouth and my hands and, and my feet and my heart to you and to your Holy Spirit now as I start the day. And, and now may he use those things for, for his glory. Now that brings us then to our second truth related to the Holy Spirit, and that is that the Holy Spirit provides us with the how to live this Christian life. Let me tell you a true story that uh, helps to illustrate this. Uh, many years ago, when we were first starting the church here in, uh, um, in, in Modesto, I had a, a friend in, uh, who lived in another town, and uh, he gave me a call and and he was struggling with a particular issue, and he wanted to meet with me uh, for breakfast and uh, so we could get a chance to talk. And so uh, we went out to breakfast, and we're sitting there talking. And, and the problem that he had is he said, I'm, I'm really finding it difficult to find a, a church uh, in town to attend. And uh, I thought, you know, to myself, in, in I, and I know what town he came from, and I knew there were a lot of churches in town, and I thought to myself, well, maybe he's just being a little too picky, you know, trying to find a perfect church or something like that, some crazy thing like that, you know, and, uh, or maybe a little critical spirit or something on that. And I said, well, you know, God, there's got to be some place for you to go to there in town, and you'll go into it, and the Spirit will bear witness that that's supposed to be home for you and all. And I said, I don't understand, you know. He said, let me give you an illustration of what is typical that I'm running into. He said, last Sunday I was in a, in a church, and the pastor was up preaching up in front, teaching up in front. And as he was teaching, he began to share a counseling session that he was involved in earlier in the week. That's already bad news. <laughs> you don't share counseling sessions from, from the pulpit uh, that occurred the week prior where people can know 
who the person is and that kind of thing. So, um, but he starts to share this story about this young lady that had come in to his office and, and her story was one where when she was uh, a, a teenager, she had uh, gotten pregnant, she was not married, uh, the mother had put uh, considerable uh, pressure upon her to have an abortion. Uh, she had the abortion, and uh, as a result of the abortion, uh, not only uh, the baby lost in all of that, but she ended up sterilized as, as a result of the abortion. So now here she is in her early 20s, and she's come to know the Lord. And she's struggling now as a Christian with this issue of forgiveness with dealing with the guilt of what she had done earlier in, in her life, but really dealing with considerable bitterness against her mother and how her mother had used that kind of position of authority in her life, and she was now bearing as the daughter uh, the terrible consequences of, of her mother's decision. So uh, my friend is sitting there listening to this, and, you know, your eyes are wide open, the story like that, and he's thinking to himself, that's a lot of, you know, worms to open up in a sermon. You've got to get those worms all back in the can. And uh, that's a hard thing to do, to open up something that big. Everybody else in the room's probably wondering, well, you know, what'd you do? What happened? He didn't have to wait long to find out what, what the minister said uh, to the girl because he, he told her. He told the whole congregation in the sermon. He said, so I told, I told that young woman, she just had to forgive her mom. My friend said, he said, I almost exploded out of my seat. He's a big guy, big guy. He just could crush you. And uh, it would be a fearful sight to see someone like this flying out of a seat at you. And uh, he said, I just, I just, you know, wanted to, almost flew out of my seat toward this guy. The pastor made no mention of God providing her with the power and the ability to forgive. No mention of forgiving her mother in response to how much God had already forgiven her. No mention of forgiving her mother in order to be a witness of the heart of God and the forgiveness of God to a family and to a whole world that was watching her life. And I told him, I said, well, you probably weren't listening carefully enough. You've got to be mistaken. Surely the pastor said it, and, and you missed it. And surely the pastor had explained to the young woman not only her responsibility to forgive, but also the why and the how behind God's command to forgive. But my friend, I'll tell you, he assured me that he had been completely, you know, listening to the sermon and he was completely accurate in what he shared uh, with me. What was his frustration? Was, was the pastor wrong in, in what he said? No. Absolutely correct in what he said as far as he went. The problem is he didn't go far enough Without mentioning the how of God's Holy Spirit that is behind the what of God's Word, every command and every encouragement in God's Word, he left the woman and he left the congregation with the idea that we are to live this Christian life in our own strength. 
But God has given us this book in order to reveal his will and to reveal his commands. Now it's up to us to roll up our sleeves now and obey it in our own strength. And that's a very common perception of Christianity, even among Christians. But all that will ever produce at best is a very, very frustrated, frustrated, frustrated Christian. Remember the... Um, Christian kind of, you know, speaking there that makes the frustrated cry in uh, Romans chapter 7. Here is a man who's trying to live the Christian life in the strength of his flesh there in Romans 7, and all it's led to is frustration and condemnation, and he expresses his, his frustration in Romans chapter 7, verse 19. He says, for the good that I will to do, I do not do, <laughs> but the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Anybody ever felt that in your Christian life? What I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. And it is the characteristic of my life. That's what the guy's saying in Romans 7. And then he reveals in chapter 7, verse 18, uh, that, that same passage, the source of his frustration. And the source of his frustration is not that he doesn't know what good is. It's not that he doesn't know the right thing to do. What he does not know is how to do the right thing. Romans chapter 7, verse 18, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. I want to live this life that God has called me to. But here it is. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. All he's seeing is the what of God's Word, but he hasn't experienced the power of the Spirit now to live it. And finally, realizing that he can't live the Christian life in his own strength, he cries out at the end of the chapter for a help that is beyond him to help him to do it. Romans chapter 7, verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He doesn't say, what, you know, 10-part series of a sermon or, you know, three-part thing or six principles that have to do with this or eight principles to teach us this. He's already done all that. He's already tried all that. This idea that Christianity is, is supernatural in, in terms of what we preach and what we teach, but then in terms of having it really make an impact in our life, it's something that we work out through, you know, all these principles and these ideas and all, but he, he doesn't, there, there's no emphasis on, on the how, the supernatural that the Holy Spirit brings to a Christian life. This is a supernatural life. No one can live this in their own strength. I don't care if they're a Navy SEAL. I don't care if they're a Green Beret. I don't care if they're the strongest man or woman in the whole world, the most disciplined man or woman in the whole world. This life cannot be lived in our own strength. It is a supernatural life that can only be lived by the power of the Holy Spirit, but it can be lived by the power of the Holy Spirit.
And then the beautiful thing that happens related to Romans chapter 7 is that he then continues to write and moves on into chapter 8 of Romans, which is a chapter that is filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. And he enters into, in that chapter, what the Christian life is intended to be but can only be by the power of the Holy Spirit. Behind the what of God's Word, every command and every encouragement in this book is the how of the Holy Spirit to live it and to obey it and to experience it in our lives. The Apostle Peter, he, he spoke of it in Second Peter chapter 1. He said, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's the Christian life through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. By his Spirit, he has given us all that is necessary for godly life, the life that God has called us to and to godliness. The Apostle Paul put it this way, writing to the church at Philippi. He said, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is God who provides us with two things in our life as Christians. He provides us with the will to do God's will. The man in Romans chapter 7, he had that. <laughs> He wants to live the life that God has called him to, that he reads in this book. The will is there. But God doesn't just supply the will. As, as present as the will is, we, when you and I have a will within us to live this life, to obey God, and it's a strong desire within us, that, the, that that presence of that within, within our hearts, as strong as that is, that's just as strong as the power that God gives to live it, but I've got to tap into it. I've got to understand that it's not me rolling up my sleeves to do it, but now coming and saying, Lord, I've got the will, but now I need you. I surrender to you. I need what you alone can bring into my life to cause this life to unfold. God provides both the will to live this life, and he provides us with the power to live this life, the Apostle Paul said. And there's no explanation for Paul's life apart from it. Without knowing that, that behind the what of God's word is the fullness of the how of the power of the Holy Spirit, the Christian life becomes an utter frustration. The Bible becomes, the book becomes a misery over time because it is constantly showing me the life that I am not living. The Bible becomes a book that rises up and mocks me instead of being a comfort and a joy to me. Christianity is not 
attempting to imitate Jesus and the power of my flesh. It is the impartation of God Almighty and the person of the Holy Spirit into our lives. Christianity is not imitation in the strength of our flesh, but it is the impartation of the Holy Spirit into our lives. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's say we had a sunny day in San Francisco. It's a beautiful city, really, all that water and all. And there I am, I'm driving around in, in my pickup truck with a Christian sticker on it, hoping that it doesn't get vandalized. But anyway, so I'm driving through San Francisco, and, uh, and I come over there where that golden, uh, the, the museum is over there, and the Golden Gate Bridge crosses, you know, uh, the bay there. There's a beautiful setting right there, and there's walkways and all that stuff. And I'm driving by, and I drive by, and there's a guy sitting there, and he's painting the Golden Gate Bridge. He's got a big canvas out there and the easel and all of his paints, and he's so good, he's produced a crowd around him. And I park my truck, I walk over there, and I watch him, and he's a master. I mean, he, you, you know he's not painting the Carquinas Bridge. He's painting the Golden Gate Bridge, and I mean, this thing is just coming to life. It's absolutely beautiful. And so I figure he's going to be there for a while, so I find, ask around, find out where in the world I can find a paint store and, and all, and I go and I buy a canvas just the size of his canvas. I buy brushes just like his brushes. I buy paints just like his, an easel just like his, and I grab all of those things when I pull back up there out of my truck, and I plant it right next to his. And I pull out the paint, and every time he takes and mixes some paint and then and puts the stroke of, on, on the canvas and all, I imitate him. Every single thing he does, I imitate him. The power of my flesh. At the end of the day, there will be a crowd ooing and awing at what it is that he has painted. And when they look over at what I have painted <laughs> by comparison, Though I have given it my best effort, all they will feel for me is pity. <laughs> and all I will feel about myself is shame. And I look and I'm frustrated in everything. And I look and I say, I want to paint like that. I want to create beauty like that. I want to create beauty for other people like that. And, and, and as I'm looking at, at that and I'm wondering how in the world can it ever happen, it dawns on me that it will never happen by me trying to imitate him in the strength of my flesh. The only way I'm ever going to produce a painting like that is if that man comes inside of me and paints it through me. That's what the Holy Spirit has done by coming into our lives. And now he lives the life of Christ through us. And so life becomes one of increasing surrender and obedience to his promptings and to his leadings. And I begin to experience his power now as, as I begin to obey those promptings and those leadings. That he provides us with the how of his spirit to live the what of his word is very important to understand in our Christian life. But also, not only to the Christian, 
but to the person who doesn't know the Lord. And maybe you sit here today, and, and you've never surrendered to Jesus. You've never made him your Lord and your Savior. And there have been times in your life where you've picked up a Bible from somewhere, or you've been to churches like this, and, or you've had a Aunt B or an Opie or a Goober or someone you know that knew the Lord in your life, and they're talking to you about the things of the Lord, and you see the changes that God has produced in their life and, and, and all. But you, you look at, at those, those things, and you realize, and maybe in some kind of quiet way, you've tried to live what you've read in the book just a little bit that you're familiar with, and you fail every single time. And there's so many people that look and say, I'm not going to give my life to Jesus in its current condition. <laughs> I'm too ashamed to do that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get my life in order and, and, and have some semblance of order and looking like this book and what's found in this book, and then I'll give my life to the Lord. Impossible. Impossible. <laughs> You cannot produce that life on your own. It is when you come to a place in your life where you look and you say, God, I believe your assessment of me. I'm a sinner. I've been less than perfect every day of my life that I can remember. And I believe that my sin has separated me from a relationship with you. And I believe I was created for a relationship with you. But I believe that you loved me so much that you sent your son to die on the cross for my sins and that he was buried and he rose again on the third day and I believe that he is the Savior and that is the salvation that pleases you. And so I turn from my old ways and I turn to you and I give you my life. I trust in you. I honor you with my faith. I trust in your son for my salvation. And I give you my life now to use for the rest of my life however you see fit and then for all of eternity. And when a person does that, God's Holy Spirit now comes into their life. And now the what is coupled with the how. And now there's the possibility to live this life. Don't wait until you've got some semblance of order, having your act together to come to God. God knows what he's getting when he gets you and me, a project. And he loves that. Because by the time he fixes you up, like those people like fixing up old cars and stuff, and, and it was a heap, you know, and then they turn it into this thing, you know, and he loves to fix it up, fix the life up. And then when people say, whoa, what happened to you? And, and then we can tell them about the one that did it. And he gets the glory. So don't wait. Now, finally, and, and a brief on this one, just so you don't think I'm going to go six hours on you or anything. But I want to look finally at the fact that the work of the Holy Spirit in a Christian's life will always look like Jesus. Now, that may not mean anything to some of you, but I think it'll mean something to some of you. Anybody writing that down? <laughs> just confusing statements my pastor made this morning. When I was a boy... I grew up for a number of years in a particular church, and it was a church that loved the Lord, loved the Lord Jesus, beautiful the way they loved him, beautiful their respect and reverence for the Word of God. But some, some members of that church seemed a little bit uh, uncomfortable with the work of the Holy Spirit. 
There was one woman that attended uh, that church, and she was a friend of our, our family, and she would warn my twin brother and I, I mean, against different things that Christians believed about the Holy Spirit and the wild and crazy practices that they had and these kinds of, of things. And so, you know, uh, I didn't begin to walk with the Lord at that time in my life, but as I went into adult life and then ultimately when I did give my life to the Lord at the age of 25, um, and, and came in, into the church, one of the things that I needed to be reassured of was that the Holy Spirit was safe, that he was a safe person to surrender my life to, that he wouldn't do all those crazy things that our family friends said that he, you know, he did in other people, you know, or said in, 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 in being done in his name. And the Lord used John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 16, and also Romans chapter 8, verse 9, to completely set my heart at ease related to the person of the Holy Spirit. Because those two verses taught me that I could trust the Holy Spirit as much as I trusted in, in Jesus. Notice that Jesus calls the Holy Spirit in verse 16 a helper or a comforter. Different translations use one of those two words. And the word helper or comforter, it means a parakletos. It means one who comes alongside to help us. God does in our Christian uh, life. Picture the biggest, brawniest, toughest giant of a man, Big John, helping the weakest, most feeble little old lady across the street. You have some picture of the help that we have in our Christian life. The Holy Spirit has come not only in us, but he has come alongside to help us in our Christian life. Why is that a great image? Because Jesus was alongside the disciples to help them through the entire three and a half years of his public ministry. So he said the Holy Spirit is a parakletos. He is one who will come alongside to help you. But Jesus said something very interesting. Notice in verse 16, and this word is circleable, but you don't need to do that for those of you who think that's a violation of some kind of your Bible, but at least take note of it, of that word another. He said, he will give you another helper. And the word another there is an interesting one in the original language. It's alon, and it means another of the same kind. There's a different word that Jesus could have used uh, for there in the Greek language that would have meant another of a different kind, but he didn't. He used the Greek word that said another of the same kind. Now, I don't know about you, but at our house, when I open up the cupboard where we've got glasses and coffee mugs and all those kinds of things in, in there, we've got uh, several different kinds in there, and uh, we're Americans. <laughs> So, uh, we got little fat squatty ones, we got tall skinny ones, you know, and then we, you know, we got two or three different kinds that are in there for different purposes, and, and, uh, and, and I use the ones that are the hardest to break. And, and so, so, I take a glass, one of those little squatty thick ones, and I get a glass of water, and let's say I sit down somewhere in the living room. And I'm drinking that water. And if I were to say to someone that might be in the room, you know, I was too lazy to get up or, or was whatever, and, uh, and, I, and I was to say uh, to them, bring me another glass. If I said Alan, it would mean bring me another little fat squatty glass like the one that I have. 
They would never bring to me one of the tall, skinny ones, one of the fragile ones. That's a different word. And that's the word that Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit here. He is just like the first one. Alan is another helper of the same kind. So when Jesus declares to them that he's going to give them another helper, he's telling them that he's going to send a helper to them just like the first one. Who was the first one? Jesus was the first helper. He was the first helper. In other words, the helper that Jesus was going to send would be just like Jesus. And just like Jesus, he would be sufficient for everything that the disciples would face in their life and in their ministry. Everything that Jesus was to them in their life and ministry, the Holy Spirit would now be the one that would bring those things to their lives. Jesus was very, very helpful (laughs) during those three and a half years. But additionally, it means that the Holy Spirit will never ask us to say or do anything that isn't consistent with Jesus, isn't consistent with his nature, doesn't look like what he would say or do from how we understand him in the Gospels. Any legitimate work of the Holy Spirit in my life will only cause me to live and to speak and to love and to sound more like Jesus. And once I realized that, I was able to completely able to go into one of those free falls into the arms of the Holy Spirit, like one of those Lipton tea commercials where they fall back into the water, the iced tea kind of thing. It made it very easy to fully surrender to the ministry of the Holy Spirit within my life. The other verse, by the way, Romans chapter 8, verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. That was the other verse when I realized that one of the names of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. He will always look like the Lord Jesus in his manifestations in our life. The Lord has not left us as orphans in this world. He has left us in the very, very good hands of the person of the Holy Spirit, a wonderful friend to us as Christians. Three truths about the Holy Spirit that have been helpful to me, my Christian life, and perhaps they'll be of some help to you. The Holy Spirit is a person And it's important to understand because of what it produces within our lives. The Holy Spirit provides us with the how, the power to live, the what that we find in God's Word. And the work of the Holy Spirit in a Christian's life will always look like what Jesus would do in our lives. This is a wonderful friend that we have in the Holy Spirit, wonderful to spend each day surrendering to Him moving forward in his will. Yes, experiencing his power. We want his power. We need his power. We'll talk about that another time. But to know these great things about him and continuing to grow in the increased influence of the Holy Spirit within our lives and growing in our own sensitivity to his leadings and his promptings within our lives. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Father, we thank you for 
the Holy Spirit, and we thank you for the comforter that he is, and we thank you for all that he, in your perfect will, just brings to our lives. And you look at us in this room today, and you see men and women that have walked with you for decades, really some all of the days of their life almost, and then others, Lord, that have just come to know you recently and others that don't even know you yet, but they're searching, Lord, and they're in this room today. And you know how to take all of this and apply it into our lives and then, Lord, to take us further and further and further out into these realities concerning your Holy Spirit so that we can enjoy the fullness of the life that you have for us. But then as you shape us and you fashion us and you change our lives and how we speak and how we think and how we conduct ourselves, Lord, that it would bring glory to you. But then on top of that, that it would give hope to the people around us, Lord, that you would do the same thing in their life too. And we know not everybody is interested in walking with you right now. We know it's the last thing on some people's minds. But today in Modesto, there are people that are searching, Lord, and we want them to see your reality in our lives. And so we pray that you take these truths from your word and continue to walk us out into them in a greater, greater measure for your glory, Lord, and just for the good of all in this world. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.